sheltering in place, filled with fear and anxiety, afraid to go out and risk death. The disciples of Jesus huddled together in their locked house, not knowing what to do next. Then Jesus walked through the door, and I mean through the door, transforming their lives forever. And the rest, as they say, is church history. That was last week. Today, we find our heroes gathered once more behind closed doors, Thomas now among them, refusing to believe without tangible proof. Which, after all, was only what his friends got last week when they saw Jesus in person. Thomas's doubt springs not so much from any pessimism or contrariness as it does from grief. He's afraid to make himself that vulnerable again and risk love once more. Unless I put my finger in the mark where the nails have been and my hand in his side, I'm not buying it. Thank God for Thomas. Whatever errand he was running that took him away from that locked house at the wrong time, maybe he was the designated grocery shopper that week, donning his mask to buy provisions. He became a stand-in for so many of us. For those of us broken by sorrow or grief. Absent when salvation arrived for others. Clinging to rational thinking as protection against miracles that disappoint. Down through the centuries, Thomas has become the gateway drug disciple for doubters to find their way to faith. For those who cannot fathom how salvation in the form of Jesus Christ can be real when so little in this world bespeaks the salvific. Thomas says out loud the words a number of us have thought in our heart when we're being honest. I won't truly believe until I see it for myself. His words of doubt set a place at the table for those of us hungry for something we cannot yet swallow whole. Thank God for Thomas. When we hear this story every year, the first Sunday after Easter Day, I think we're supposed to identify with that class of people that Jesus names when he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. But I suspect that some of us identify with Thomas himself, who has not seen and doubts, yet sticks around for at least one more Sunday, faithful to his longing. So when Jesus walks through that door a second time, it's for Thomas's sake and for ours. After wishing everyone peace, he invites Thomas to inspect his wounds. Why did Jesus retain those wounds, the marks where the nails had been on his hands, feet, and side? That is the most remarkable detail of the story because it's incongruous with the triumph of resurrection, isn't it? If this were merely a narrative, just a good story we read in a book, that detail would be the piece de resistance. It breaks the whole thing open. What it tells us is 
This is not a resurrection in power, but a resurrection in love. And what is love? Well, it's at least three things. First, love is relationship. Those wounds remain to show the disciples that it's still him, their beloved friend, and not another. I'm the man who loved you. See the marks that prove it? They know it's not Satan playing tricks on them because he would have shown up looking gloriously, dazzlingly perfect. Second, love is vulnerability. Those wounds remind us that just like faith, love requires risk. There are no guarantees that it will all work out in the end, nor are we even promised that it'll be worth it. Maybe that's why they call it falling in love. Scrapes are inevitable. Third, love is sacrifice. Jesus retains those wounds as an acknowledgement that suffering happens. A parent sacrifices so much for a child, and even then, things can go wrong. We sacrifice time and money to help others in need or to commit to our church community without proof that it will ultimately solve anything. Yet this is love, relationship, vulnerability, and sacrifice. And so when Jesus shows us his wounds, it is love he displays. I promise, he says, that I will be with you in your pain because these are also compassion wounds, suffer with wounds. And I am so very close to you, so very much a part of you, that I am even present in the wounds. And every time you worry them, I wince in pain along with you. My Lord and my God, Thomas answers, and his faith is reborn. So we're now in week five of this sheltering in place, waiting for our own rebirth back into the, into the world we knew. Our isolation, this enforced settling down, has brought those three aspects of love into high relief, relationship, vulnerability, and sacrifice. Our relationships with others are made more poignant by their absence. Heck, just seeing a familiar face on the computer screen can make our heart leap in ways it rarely did when we saw them in person and hugged them. We are vulnerable to this illness and to our own inner demons, frustrations, and anxieties that have now come out to play. And we've been forced to sacrifice so much of what we love doing, going to church, sitting in our favorite coffee shop, traveling, shopping, having dinner with friends. What might rebirth and resurrection look like when it comes to us in the coming weeks or months? I, for one, Hope we carry the wounds with us when we emerge. 
that the holes in our hands remain, a visual reminder of relationship that we might stretch them forth ever wider in love, embracing and committing to all of humanity in its newly revealed fragility because we belong to each other and every single one of us to God. Everyone must be cared for, even as God cares for everyone. May the holes in our feet remind us we are vulnerable, that we might step forth into the world braver than ever, willing to take risks and to trust more in our fellow walkers. That we retain the gash in our side, a thorn that pricks us into sacrifice for others, because we are, turns out, really and truly, all in this together. And paradoxically, what we sacrifice may bring forth joy. So this too is love, commitment, trust, and joy. Today is Quasimodo Sunday. That name comes from the first word in Latin of the introit, or entrance anthem, traditionally said or sung on this day, the first Sunday after Easter Day. The chant we played at the beginning of the service was a version of that introit. Quasimodo means just like. And the words of the introit are taken from the first letter of Peter, chapter 2. Just like newborn babes. Desire the sincere milk of the word. In the Hunchback of Notre Dame, a newborn child is abandoned on the cathedral steps on Quasimodo Sunday, and so is named after the day. Quasimodo was born with a hunchback, and he carried that wound through his life. Just so we, once reborn into the world after this pandemic, whenever that may happen, will retain the marks of our suffering. If we don't let those wounds mark us, convict, or inspire us, then it won't really be a rebirth or a resurrection. It will be a re-deadening. A re-deadening. Did you really expect to come out of these months of isolation unscathed? Make it matter in your life. Remember the radical kindness of those neighbors on next door online who blatantly offered to buy food for any stranger who was hungry and texted them. No questions asked. Remember how the canals of Venice cleared up so much that you could see fish swimming down there. Remember those who risked their lives and delivered your food so you wouldn't have to risk yours. When else would any of this have happened but in a catastrophe? And because it happened, that means it's possible. And there is your proof of the miracles you've been searching for all along. Like Thomas and the disciples, make the resurrection tangible in this world. Do something about it. Step out into new life, bursting with love. Let yourself be reborn. Give yourself another chance, as God does with us time and time again. 
Though we are wounded, we will also be raised. Wait for it. It is coming.